the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Jesse Gastan. He's the host of Way of Grace, a pastor and a community leader. He's a teacher and an inspiration. He's Lifeline's own Jesse Gastan. And I really want to welcome you to our Monday edition of Lifeline. Glad to have you in the house. Let me see if I can hear myself a little bit better. There we go. Nippy, nippy, nippy. A little bit chilly out there, if I wouldn't say so myself. We have transitioned right into the cool weather. We are a few weeks out from the most coveted holiday of the year. And I hope that you are moving in a direction by which celebration is starting to stir in your hearts. A kind of warm, fuzzy, happy, thankful feeling, particularly if you have confessed Christ as Lord and you are looking forward to enjoying the time with your family. Yes, I'm talking about Christmas. Uh, that coveted day for many of us whereby we can with the rest of the believing world and those who simply enjoy the celebration of of uh, the holidays, lights and um, fanfare and music and uh, all of the nostalgic components that go with Christmas. Um, we begin to uh, think about it and uh, enjoy the prospects of it more and more every year. And I, and I would ask the question, why would that be the case? Unless, of course... You know, you're going through something or um, some trial, some difficulty that really does make celebrating anything uh, possible with any kind of uh, passion and vigor. But uh, if you are, if you're relatively well off, uh, relatively speaking, we know we can put that in brackets and we can say we all have our challenges. We all have um, different struggles that we're dealing with. We have obstacles and hindrances. We are not yet in glory. If you're a believer in Christ, you are in transition. Uh, you can literally tell people that. In fact, I, I suggested to one of our members about a year ago, you can put that on a T-shirt. I'm in transition also <laughs> because we are moving from a state of grace, which means we've been redeemed, bought with a price, and uh, we have been renewed by the power and grace of God and his spirit. And we are being transformed day by day, if that is a real experience of grace in your life. And we are between grace and glory. One day we will be in a state of absolute and total glory with Jesus Christ himself, a day um, of which even the Bible states that all of the universe is looking for the full manifestation and outright liberation of all of the sons of God, according to Romans chapter 8. That will be a magnificent day. But between now and then, you know what you are? If you are a child of God, you are a child of grace. Grace dominates your life, and you really do want to um, You want to know what grace is for all it's worth. I'll have the privilege in a couple of weeks to be speaking to our DOG, our Daughters of Grace. By the way, we had a wonderful time a couple of weeks ago. Um, dealing with, I think we are talking about confession. Yes, James five sixteen, 
and how that confession is designed to lead towards healing um, as uh, God would have us all as true believers to be confessors. We learned that about Adam over the last three weeks, did we not? That Adam did not throw his wife under the bus. He did not pass the buck. He did not prevaricate. He didn't lie. And he didn't shirk his responsibilities. In fact, the outcome of Adam and Eve is that they were restored to an office of blessing and uh, dignity and honor by God the Father, clothing them totally and completely in coats of skin. And, uh, and it meant that they had confessed their sins. They had confessed what they had done was wrong, and it became a pattern for you and I. If we confess our sins, he is what? Just and faithful to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And you and I are in a state of justification by the grace of God, and we are experiencing transformation. I hope that's the case for you daily where we're learning, maturing, growing, um, discovering new venues of God's kindness and grace in our life every day, um, even through the painful stuff. I, you know, as we are moving towards December 25th, um, we, we are very much mindful, particularly if you're in a place of leadership or older with parents and loved ones that often have ailments and, 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 and pains that uh, require that we remember the poor, remember those that are afflicted and remember those that are um, older and in need of um, the strength and availability of the younger people in their lives. Uh, we, we realize that uh, even these seasons where we are marshalling our resources together, our, our finances, if you will, uh, to maybe purchase some things and to um, prepare meals in a time of gathering, that, uh, that a lot of people are going to struggle. That's just the way that it is. It's, it's that way. But if Christ is really on the throne of your heart, if Christ is really the foundation of your life, you don't have to. You don't have to actually emanate you know, sorrow and pain. You, have to, you don't have to advertise that you are in a woe is me mentality. You just don't. You can rejoice in the Lord too. With whatever little you have, you can be thankful unto God for your um, present resources, knowing this, that one day there will be an um, abundant interest into the kingdom of our dear Lord Jesus Christ, and you will have at your availability for all eternity. Blessing upon blessing upon blessing upon blessing upon blessing. Well, if you are new to our program, as I'm bantering away here in the opening monologue, my name is Jesse Gistand, and I happen to be the host of this program, Lifeline, on Mondays, Tuesday through Friday. Mr. Craig Roberts, the inimitable Craig Roberts, takes over and uh, brings to you different news items and guests and subject matters that are worthy of uh, your um, ear for two hours as well. But what I try to do is kind of either just hone us in on some kind of rich and uh, essential theological thought or topical issue that is worth discussing. Last week, we talked about um, what would impede uh, men and women from actually enjoying the, the, the week that is the most famed and notable in all of uh, the world's um activities and celebrations being Christmas, what would impede that? We talked about the 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 traps and gins and snares of pornography and the traps and gins and snares of addiction and, and calling my brothers and sisters to dealing with that now early on, particularly if you've had some, you know, some reprieve from it. And we had great calls. I was 
Very much pleased with uh, Deanna calling. She was a first-time listener, never listened to the program before, and um, she was honest enough, and this is, what, this is what confession will do. It will lead you closer to God. She was honest enough to talk about that she was in the industry of porn when she heard me open up with it and that she was trying to reconcile her Christianity with, with the life of pornography. Well, a lot of people are trying to reconcile what God in Christ is calling them to be and do with the things that they are doing. And um, as I shared with her, ultimately it's irreconcilable. You really can't re- reconcile a world that is rooted in a kind of darkness and uh, deviance from the traditional mode of intimacy and uh, conjugal relations that should be explicitly uh, exclusively, rather, confined to the relationship of the husband and wife. In fact, I'm going to be picking up on what we have been dealing with in, in, in Genesis chapter 3. If you've never heard my series on the fall of Adam and Eve, you really do want to get that series. We have dealt with some uh, very important and critical insights as it were, lifting up and removing some of the common traditional interpretations that fail to meet the grammatical and and even theological standards of the text. Um, and made it clear that Adam was not in the transgression. He was not there when Eve uh, was tempted by the devil, seduced and, and, and succumbed to his five D's that she ate first and then she gave to her us husband to eat with her. Uh, and so we we dismantled the fallacy of the notion that Adam was sitting around like some bumbling idiot, basically allowing his wife to be trapped by a heretic and fall into perdition. And then secondly, we explained that he didn't throw her under the bus, but rather in love for her, shared in her transgression, and therefore uh, subsequently became responsible for her fall because the first Adam was a great type of the last Adam. The Lord Jesus Christ, according to Romans 5.12, and uh, as Christ became sin for us, even so Adam entered into the sin with his wife and bore the consequences. And what did God the Father do? He came along, exposed their rebellion and disobedience, and in their confession, he clothed them again with coats of skin, pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ, who was their substitute, surety, savior, and redeemer a model that God has given to all of us rebellious sons and daughters of God, as I gave you first John one nine, um, a very powerful exposition. If you wanted to really learn some insights into a, a much more crystal centric interpretation of the Bible, it will edify you and help you and uh, deliver you basically from what I, I consider a, a secular assumption that Adam was just like you and I, and he was not. After the fall, however, something rich occurred in Genesis chapter uh, 8 and 9, and we are going to be picking up on the God that covers us when we go to Genesis 9. You guys remember that epic event after the flood where Noah uh, begins to to retill the land to which he, Adam, and all of us have been called to do, uh, be keepers of God's creation. He builds a vineyard and uh, just has a little bit too much to drink. And uh, something very bizarre happens in his tent where one of his sons come to him and uh, engage in a very inappropriate response to Noah's nakedness. And that's what we're going to pick up on next week because the Bible actually teaches us that God is the God that covers nakedness because our nakedness is a shameful, sinful thing. And we're speaking metaphorically now. 
our nakedness is a shameful, sinful thing that God cannot tolerate. And you find God covering his dignitaries, whether they are kings or whether they are priests or whether they are prophets or the nation of Israel or sons, as was the case with the prodigal son who comes back home wasteful and humble and ready to be even restored to the status of a servant. What does his father do? He puts on him the best robe and gives him a ring and gives him the status of the firstborn. And that is all picture perfect typology pointing to the exaltation of Jesus Christ, who is the firstborn um, uh, of many brethren, if you will, and all of us in him. So, yeah, we're going to be picking up in that Genesis 9 narrative this week and dealing with uh, the very unusual act of uh, of the two older brothers, or rather the older and the younger brother, when they walk backwards and cover their dad. We want to learn what does that mean, because right there we are once again introduced to this concept of recognizing that we must be covered. We must be covered. We must be covered. We cannot stand before a holy God naked. We cannot stand before God inadequately attired. We cannot stand before God unprepared to meet him on the grounds of his perfect, exquisite, impeccable righteousness. We must be covered. And men and women who know they are sinners know they are in need of a covering. So, yeah, you want to join us online, you can go to grace-bible.com, and we are picking up on that lesson in preparation for the coming of the Son of God, who is our ultimate covering. He is the one that, if you will, laid down his life to deliver us from the shame and guilt and condemnation and wrath of Almighty God. That's why we celebrate the birth of the Son of God. He's the newborn king. And unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. And on his shoulders shall be the government. It will be a government of peace that will have no end. And he bears five appellations that we will unpack on that Christmas day. Five appellations that are controversial and yet at the same time absolutely accurate concerning who he is as the son of the living God, the second person of the blessed Godhead equal with the Father and equal with the Spirit in their nature, and yet he becomes the one that is the gateway back to the Father. As he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father but by me. I believe it with all my heart. Do you? I believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And uh, he's made it so in my life. I hope he's made it so in your life as well. Well, I'm opening up the phone lines, one 367 I will engage you on topics of, of a theological questions or personal struggles. Uh, you have a pastor in the house who happens to do quite a bit of counseling, Um, on all spectrums and be glad to answer your questions. Definitely, let's talk about uh, those questions that you haven't had answers for in a while. 1-888-367-5329. I've got two lines open. If there's something on your heart you want to share, love to hear about it. Got some concerns about, again, as we press into Christmas every year, you got questions about the holiday, the significance of it, the meaning of it, et cetera, et cetera. Let's enjoy ourselves for the next hour and 15 minutes, hour and 45 minutes, if you will, and uh, just uh, fill our hearts with some truth by the Spirit of God on this Monday edition of Lifeline. Again, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. So glad to be in the house with you. I'll be right back. 
And now back to Lifeline. And we are back. The time is 523 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. Let me see here. Let's the lines are already picking up. Good. I can uh, just get to talking to some folks today. Let me go to line number four and talk with Ralph in Santa Rosa. Ralph, are you there? I am there. How are you today? I'm well, thank you. How are you? I'm great. What's your question, comment, or observation, sir? So, um, well, I have a question and I have a comment. Sure. Um, my question is, uh, as a believer, how do I help people overcome their feeling of irrationality in putting their faith in something they can't see um, or touch. Mm-hmm. Um, is that a real experience for you right now? I, I'm, I'm curious about it for a number of reasons, Ralph. I, 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 I would enlarge upon it, but I want to first know if you're talking to me from the standpoint of kind of a theoretical situation or a factual situation where there are persons uh, plural or singular that you would like to help who happen to be going through this kind of um, anxiety about faith? Well, I tend to try and evangelize as much as I can. And being here in Northern California, um, where we have a high degree of unchurched, it's, it, it, it's, a, it's a conversation that I often run into. And um, it's something that I've never really developed a great answer for so i i um i I have a number of people who who know me and they see me and they seem to want some of the joy that i have but they just have trouble with the whole rational the rational world versus the irrational or the, 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 the what they can see and touch versus what they can't Okay, so what what I would say without quickly moving into an apologetics mode, even though that's really what you're basically dealing with, defending the integrity and veracity of the Christian faith, why the Christian faith is something that is both rational uh, and transrational. That's where the nature of faith comes in at. Uh, why, I, why I would say to someone who is saying, you know, I, I, I can feel you. There's a, a tug on my heart. There's a tug on my soul with regards to um, some of the apparent existential benefits that you're deriving from your religion. But I just can't get with a God I can't see. I can't quite get with believing in promises that I don't have any empirical ability to uh, recognize exists. Uh, that that basic argument right there, Ralph, is really rooted in them not thinking through two things. The 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 vast amount of faith that actually is operating in their life right now within the secular context in which they live. If I were to start with the premise upon which the unbeliever is operating, I would say to them, you operate out of vast number of measures of faith in different categories and areas of your life. I would say first and foremost, you operate out of a vast number, uh, a vast measure of faith relative to your present worldview. And if I were to ask them things like, um, what do you believe? They would say, well, I think I believe in the evolutionary theory of uh, human existence. Then I would share with them that uh, in, in relation 
relationship to what they have learned about evolution and their adherence to it, that they are actually exercising a level of faith in the data and propositions and arguments of evolution um, at a level that, in my opinion, would be uh, more more demanding than that of the Bible and belief in a personal God who actually created all things. I would share with them that we have in common a kind of presupposition to believe things that we have never affirmed empirically at all. I would uh, I would say that about their acceptance of the uh, assumption that their parents, their mother and father are their mother and father when nine times out of ten, the average individual that you meet has never ever done a DNA test to determine whether or not their parents are theirs. They are operating out of assumptions on a ton of levels if they are questioning the validity of faith. Faith really is a component that all sorts of people are operating on on different levels. And then I would begin to talk to them about some of the uh, known scientific data that we all have discovered is operating to our benefit, whether it's electricity or whether it's gravity or whether it's the the, the dynamics of uh, centrifugal force and centrifugal force that help us to uh, determine how fast we can go around corners or our flying airplanes, the principles of aerodynamics. All of that are faith principles that actually work for us. Um, and have worked for us before we even discovered them around the data. That would be where I would be starting with them in terms of letting them know if they assume that they are operating on a non-faith premise, they are wrong. We all are. And especially in terms of education, because 90% of the education that we receive is testimonial. It's data that we get from somebody else that we trust that their data is true. And I mean, from the very moment that we're being educated, whether from our parents or from our school teachers all the way up, testimonial knowledge, the books that we receive, the information that they that they congeal and put together and give to us as curriculum is all really rooted in a uh, underlying faith based principle. Now, I know you get that. So what I'm doing with them is letting them know is that they are not far from a faith paradigm as they might think. The problem is. They would have to be exposed, and this is the second one I'm going to share with you. They would have to be exposed enough to the Word of God and, 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 and observe how propositional truth, whether in narrative form giving us the stories of, of creation and the stories of the interactions of mankind and the stories of the interaction of, of God with mankind uh, are given, or some of the, the pros of, uh, of our more... Um, uh, didactic uh, books such as the Proverbs and such as Ecclesiastes or some of the New Testament language around uh, moral imperatives and ethical mandates as a consequence of being a Christian. I would I would say to them, if you expose yourself to enough of the Bible, here's what's going to happen. Now, now, Ralph, catch this now. When the Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God, this is what we teach. The man or the woman that remains under the hearing of the word of God will more than likely discover that they are believing what they hear 
than the person who maintains a distance from biblical truth and lives in the world filled with the secular ideas that oppose biblical truth. We call it the antithesis. And so a lot of the people that you are engaging, you would be able to prove, I would, Ralph, that they don't have the a, 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 what we would call an adequate knowledge of biblical truth to even determine if it's worthy of acceptance and, and belief, et cetera, et cetera. So now I've labored a little bit with you as if you were one of them. What does that sound like to you? Um, I like some of it. Um, it's hard to, I think, put a point across if you're going to tell them they're ignorant. <laughs> no, 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 no. Well, well, let's let's talk about this. Well, yeah, they are ignorant. There's no doubt about that. But I think that they're prepared to accept that proposition if, in fact, they have opened up and said, I kind of like some of the stuff that you're talking about, because here's what we know, Ralph. And this is what I've taught in apologetics when I've taught my students apologetics. I said, you the the biblical Christian is actually operating from a a premise and from a position of uh, advantage because the Bible clearly lays out in Romans one that they actually know that there is a God. That's Romans 1, 18, 19. And they are suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. So when I share with them that their problem is that they have actually avoided coming up under the authority of the word of God intuitively in their conscience, they will agree, even though outwardly they would push back on it. I mean, if experientially they haven't grown up in church, they haven't darkened the doors of the church or haven't heard real sermons, but from a distance kind of heard the story of Jesus or the debates and arguments, of course, they're going to make off as if they have acquired a sufficient knowledge of it. But I would challenge them and say, hey, would you just and this, this is the evangelical side of you and me. Would you just come and join me in a Bible study one time and let's talk about how reasonable and rational the proposition of the narrative of, let's say, we can we can deal with uh, Genesis 6. That's where I'm at right now with the account of Noah and the flood. I don't mind any of their arguments. I want their arguments because the Bible tells me to be ready to give an answer to every man that asketh you of the hope of the calling that is in you with, with meekness and fear. I don't mind them coming with the incredulous responses. I just can't believe this. I can't believe that. I can't believe the other thing. I do not mind that. What you and I have to do is try to get them under the hearing of the word. And once we can get them under the hearing of the word, we can trust God's promise that the word will do in them what you and I can't do by a million arguments. The word is sharp and alive, sharper than any two-edged sword, is quick, living, vital, and is able to pierce into and divide asunder soul and spirit, marrow and bone, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart of men. This is where the the missionary, the evangelist, the apologetist has to make sure that you utilize more of the word of God than you do human reasoning when you want to actually see God bear fruit in dealing with people's hearts. I like it. I All like right. it a lot. It makes sense. All right, my brother. Listen, thank you for the call. Good hearing from you. I hope to hear from you again in the, in the new year. We can take this up and advance it as part of a discussion because you're engaging people. And right now, uh, there are not a lot of people engaging people in the faith, Ralph. People, you talk about a problem in the secular world with not wanting to believe the Bible. 
The bigger problem is really in the church where there are not a lot of Christians who really want to know the Bible and know how to explain the Bible and have the passion and fire to communicate biblical truth and draw near to the law center to bring him under the warmth work of the spirit of God that is able to woo them by the proposition of biblical truth. I'm glad you're still there. May God continue to light a fire under you. And many others that are willing to suffer for Christ's sake as we share the good news of a great Redeemer who is mighty to save. Thank you for the call. Got one line open, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. One line open, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. I'm gonna take a break and then we'll come back on this Monday edition of Lifeline. And now back to Lifeline. And we are at the time 538 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. You are welcome to call me on uh, this station, one 367 5329 If you want to call in with a question or a comment about the season that we're in or with an issue or challenge that you may be facing, I enjoyed Ralph's question. Very germane to the Christian faith today as we are learning that there are more than 200 churches every week collapsing, uh, doors shutting all over America, Um, men and women uh, discovering uh, the insurmountable challenge, apparently, of being able to uh, call the unbeliever to faith in Christ. And the dwindling numbers um, are definitely telling. Uh, Yes, other doors are opening and and you're getting uh, people who are starting churches as well. But we have a whole lot of concern about the foundation upon which a lot of these new startups are establishing themselves. It is really, really um, a serious matter around uh, the uh, authentic gospel true Christianity. I I do not want to get on my soapbox about that, to be honest with you, but I will let you know that we are definitely in an era in which darkness is increasing on a a number of levels. No, not on the external level of superficial things. We've still got all of the paraphernalia of Christianity going on in America, all of it, from the White House on down, even though it's rainbow now, or at least it was rainbow when (laughs) Obama, the Christian, was there. It was rainbow. (laughs) <laughs> it's white now. <laughs> and in some cases, they don't like how white it is since Trump has got in there. But that's politics. OK, I'm just saying, um, well, we've got it. We've got we've got Christmas uh, that's going to be as celebrated as ever. And you will have people going through the outward form. Our church will be bulging with people. On December 23rd, I believe it is, uh, folks who darken the doors of the church once a year. It's all right. I love for the, for them to come out. They get to actually hear the gospel because we never just play baby Jesus with people on December 22nd. You're going to actually hear a whole message, not 10 minutes either. Good music, but uh, more than a 10-minute message. Um, in fact, right now I am working on a, a, a two-part series, even yeah, two-part, maybe even three. If I can consider Genesis 9 as part of the pre-Christmas proclamation, since the whole book is about Jesus, by the time we end up in Isaiah chapter 9, yeah, 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 people will have have had a healthy dose of the biblical gospel at grace. And uh, you'll meet a Jesus who is the governor of the universe on December 23rd. 
Um, and, and we have a problem with that. We just do. We, we, um, the Lord willing, if he lets me continue ministry and, and maybe even being on this program, who knows? It's only God's mercy that we are able to do normalcy every week, you guys, where I can uh, be on the air with you and, and kind of talk liberally about the matters of the world and the church because I, I, I'm, I'm called to do that. I'm called to check my own brothers and sisters in the faith as well as they I. Um, where we are going astray and be honest about how lazy and sinful the church is and corrupt and therefore ineffective. It has been on many levels. Um, Nevertheless, God could grant us repentance, but if not, we'll see darker, 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 darker days than we are looking at now. You know, China has already declared the actual cloning of human beings. Yep, it's here. I were to ne- take the next 10 minutes and talk to you about the absolute danger of uh, the incarnation of the Antichrist through uh, genetics and the manipulation of the genome and, and cloning. It would be a fascinating conversation, but I'll leave that to another time. Let me go to line number uh, line number one and see what Mark is talking about. Mark, what say ye on the Monday edition of Lifeline? Well, if we just have a moment of silence on the passing of uh, George Bush uh, would, or Herbert Walker. It would be much much appreciated, particularly on on my words that I'm about to speak. Now. Yeah, well, I, well uh, let's do. Let, hold on, let's let's do that. Don't just start talking. Let's do that for five seconds. And that's because I honor the office of the presidency as well. And when I think about all the presidents from Washington on up to our present president, um, as much as I had a number of uh, challenges with the globalist George H.W. Bush, uh, he did a lot of things that were, um, you know, that were, were absolutely necessary in a wartime scenario. Since, you know, like I've told many people for years that the presidents are nothing but 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 emperors uh, fighting battles around the world. So now what do you have to say that might add to our conversation and dialogue today before um, we move on? H.W. in 68, when he was a congressman, voted for gun control. H.W. and Barbara both voted for Hillary. Uh, Roger Stone's book on Bush, the Bush crime family and the Franklin cover up by Senator John DeCamp would be highly recommended. And Nancy Reagan wouldn't talk to uh, Bush after Reagan was shot because John Hinckley Jr. was very good friends with the Bushes. I don't know if you know that. Well, you know, uh, you know, I know, you you know, I know that, but I, but I know it only because it's in a book and it's a testimonial. And uh, Roger Stone is kind of moving forward with a lot of uh, these kinds of narratives. Now, now, tell me why. What 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 else can we uh, hear that might be of a more redemptive note? Because what you did was you said let's give a little bit of a uh, of, of silence for the death of the president, and then you moved on into basically lifting his skirt, right? wrong. I, I, what I mean is after I'm done talking, just have like a 10-second moment to meditate on what I've said. Oh, man. Well, no, who cares about what thing. you Prescott said? Mark. Prescott Bush was indicted for doing business with the Nazis. And I remember when I was at Our Lady of Mount Carmel before I went to Lincoln Elementary School, I uh, was in first grade when Kennedy was shot, and uh, we prayed for the president that he would Live right, and uh, uh, 
Bush Sr. says, I just don't remember where I was at November 22nd. Well, wait a minute. I think you're lying, pal, uh, because you know exactly where – well, he can't hear me, so he knew. Well, you can't can't be talking like – Mark, you can't be talking like that. The man just passed. Now, so I'm going to help you with some decor. And he's in hell. He's going to burn in hell. There you go. There you go. Mark. Mark. There you go. See, you can't do that, man. You can't do that. All right. Y'all pray for Mark. Uh, Mark's mad. He's just mad. Let me go to line number <laughs> line number three and talk with James from the Bay. James, James, are you there? How you doing, my brother? Hey, DJ, how you doing, sir? I'm great. What's up, man? Listen, can I, uh, from last week, I know you didn't, this is not a part two, but I wanted to get a clarification on last week's topic, I think, was the effects of alcohol and porn. Was it on the holiday, per se? Or yeah, the, uh, yeah, the- yeah, yeah, without a doubt. Well, it was interesting to me uh, in the two hours that I was saying, but I was still listening. And to me, whereas they both seem to have an adverse effect, it's almost like apples and oranges. And let me explain, you know, what I mean. Uh, when we talk alcoholism and alcohol, I want to say alcohol, alcohol on the other side, porn. To me, alcohol had, would have much more of an effect on the holiday than porn because, for, for one, alcohol is more socially accepted. Now, I'm not giving either one of them a pass. No, I got I'm you. I'm just saying that. Uh, I'm not giving, but whereas, you know, people are going to be going out, oh, let's go have a drink for Christmas, et cetera, You know how we do or what have you, the eggnog, whatever you want to call it. But right, right. we're on the other side of the coin. Porn is more of a, a, a I don't say a malice, it's, it's, it's a private. It, porn is more of your privately and basically among men. And it's not like people get together. I don't know what percentage of porn is viewed or in a plural or, 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 or viewed socially. Even when they used to have the, the old uh, porn. Red light districts, yeah. A red light districts. Yeah, red light districts. Well, I mean, red light districts, the theaters. I don't recall it being done socially. I mean, there'd be a lot of people there, sure enough, but like maybe they would have five big booths or what have you. I guess what I'm trying to say is, is that I would say alcohol would have more of an effect on the holiday than uh, pornography would because no one, I don't know, a whole lot of people openly talk, talking about viewing porn, even though we know it's being viewed, you know, in the masks, you know, and there's effect on the holiday. I mean, I don't know if that makes any, any sense to you or not, but from a social point of view, I would say alcohol. And then, of course, the, the consumption of it. You know, we've had the, you know, just from the, the fact that liquor stores have always been in the community versus, you know, porn stores. Of course, you could go in the store and get a, 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 a pornography magazine, but usually it's not you know, public, not as it is now. I'm talking about from our day, like, moving forward. Absolutely. Uh, a- absolutely. And, and, Go on. Right. And again, like I say, alcohol, I mean, and it, 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 it's participated in with both men, you know, and women, you know, on a social basis. So I said, for me, it would be alcohol. And again, you could have, like you said, there's this categories of people that were talking drinking, they were talking drunk. So you so can alcohol, I- you say alcoholism, so you said I thought you said alcohol. I don't know about if it went into alcoholism or not, but that was just my, you know, that was just the view I had that I was thinking 
along those lines. Of course, you could obviously get deeper, but that's where, you know, I, I you know I thought it one. I mean, you could tell somebody, you know, uh, drunk in here, like you said, like for some folks that came from Pentecostal backgrounds, you have uh, one mother auntie was holding anybody and everybody be having a good time playing down in those cars, somebody have a drink out, and she come in and everything disappear off the table. Right, know, right. But, but right. at the same time, it ain't going to be no porn nowhere in there. I mean, not like you said, not. Okay, so now, so now, okay, got it. Now, I'm going to share with you after the break what I think is missing in your analysis. All right, I'm going to share with you what, because you made a good analysis, but I'm going to share with you the fundamental missing link in your analysis, making a distinction between porn and alcohol relative to where we are today, right now in real time, where you are. I'm going to show you the the corresponding nature between alcohol and porn relative to social interaction. So I'm going to take a break because I need to. When I come back, I'll pick up with you, James, on the Monday edition of Lifeline. One line open, one One line open, one I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. We're back the time, 553 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. I'm talking with James from the Bay, and we're talking about our, our topic that we engaged last week on porn, alcohol, and the holiday um, season. And my basic um, premise last week was that uh, men and women who are engaging in both alcohol um, consumption to the point of abuse, as well as engaging in pornography, um, exhibit and um, find themselves succumbing to uh, antisocial behavior. Uh, the fundamental isolationist, isolationist um, outcome or isolationism, if you will, of the uh, porn addicted person is also the case for the alcoholic as well, James. Uh, kind of the, the narrative that you painted really was actually an older narrative that may have existed uh, 20, 30 years ago uh, of the model of uh, kind of a, a world where people who are free to and, ex- and exposed to, and uh, you know, succumb to an environment of alcoholism where they are apparently socially engaged, enthusiastically given to, let's say, playing cards or dominoes or drinking, et cetera, which is a culture I grew up in was nevertheless antisocial on a ton of levels. And this is what I meant by the problem of alcoholism, abuse of alcohol, along with porn. And I'll bring porn to the forefront here in a moment. But just alcoholism, the man or the woman that is dominated by alcohol cannot, cannot enjoy Christmas. They cannot enjoy a holiday at a level where the holiday is honored. They cannot do a holiday where the foundation of the joy is rooted in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And the celebratory atmosphere is around the grace of God in Christ given to us by which uh, we walk in light, love and the liberty of the gospel. This is what I'm saying. I'm saying the professing Christian uh, that is dominated by a life of alcoholism will not find Christmas enjoyable if we do Christmas the right way. Yeah, if we, if we strip Christmas down to just eating and drinking, then the kingdom of God is completely stripped away from Christmas. As Paul said in Romans 14, 17, the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. But righteousness, joy, and the and, and uh, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost, 
And what I was saying last week to my brothers and sisters, for which we have a great program, is that if we don't put a check on the preoccupation with the pleasure principle that really is at the heart of, a, of all addiction, that if I'm always shooting up some form of, uh, you know, uh, opiate or drink or alcohol or whatever uh, in order to get that pleasure principle outcome, uh, then I'm going to be dysfunctional in the context of a larger group of people who are trying to enjoy God and enjoy one another on a Christian level. Yeah, again, if we just do Christmas all about eating and drinking and watching the football game and and uh, everybody's buzzing and, and, and high, well, we have now become an isolationist group against Christ, against the glory of God, against the presence of the kingdom of God. My brothers and sisters know that what I'm saying is true. Now, let me move it over into porn and share with you what I mean by that. Because both of them are big elephants in the church as well. Porn is no longer this isolated, super hidden place where only men go. The stats are very clear now. But Brother James, I'm, 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 I'm reading them uh, frequently. It's a growing thing with women. And, and no wonder. The 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 identity of the people of God, the identity of mankind relative to the, to the Imago Dei has been shredded on a thousand levels. Men and women don't have a foundational identity. And so they are they are so lopsided and uh, out of balance with respect to what is the core essence of their existence. And the pleasure principle dominates our society. We are hedonistic, hedonistic, if you will. And as such, every kind of pleasure opportunity is at our disposal and largely in the context of pornography. And what do I mean by that? What used to be hid in Playboy books and on deep, dark triple X websites or in the red light district where you would have to uh, work your way surreptitiously throughout the evening or the night to uh, sneak in with your trench coat and, and, uh, and big hat and shades. It's everywhere pe- present on billboards. It's everywhere present in the media. It flashes before our eyes every two minutes in commercials. It's on our phones. It's at the availability of an individual who could almost be sitting at the table while we are carving the turkey with his phone just out of sight of anybody else and engaging in flashes, which in fact goes on in churches. And particularly if our men and women are given to the addiction of porn as they are given to the addiction of alcohol. Uh, And both of these play a major role of impeding the capacity for healthy, genuine, uh, fellowship between men and women, the objectifying of the bodies of men and women by the porn addicted individual makes everyone in the room a potential, uh, uh, not suspect, but a potential uh, risk for uh, for for uh, for abuse, molestation, touching, especially when it comes to children. Uh, unfortunately, what I'm talking about, and I don't really particularly care to make this a lengthy topic, but I, I can tell you that it will ring bells. If I had 20 lines here, all the lines would be filled with people who know that they are on the brink of being out of control, that they can't because of porn. 
They can't even look at human beings straight anymore, whether men or women. They can't look straight at them. They see things that they shouldn't see and they feel things that they shouldn't feel. Um, And that makes relationships dysfunctional. And to be in a pure environment of genuine, authentic fellowship and thanksgiving to the true and the living God, as Ralph, our first caller, uh, intimated that people have a hard time with the unseen. Well, that's because what they are seeing today is so massively perverse that it's targeting the emotions and the psyche and not edifying the spirit. And I know you agree with that uh, on that level. But men are men and women are messed up in their heads today and they can't tolerate sound doctrine. And certainly they can't tolerate a holy environment without uh, ending up perverting that environment. And that's. Uh, that's where I was seeking to do a service to my brothers and sisters two or three weeks before that time, because I will, while there is a um, relative distinction between alcohol and porn uh, that I give you a point on James relative to how, you know, it can be more hidden in the area of porn because you can't smell alcohol or smell porn on the breath of an individual that just has went into the bathroom or, or just has taken a walk outside and, and got him a nice little hit of porn, they're doing it. It's massive. It's massive. And it's still having the same placebo effect uh, of isolating them from the real uh, appropriate social context that they know should be the experience that they have uh, with their brothers and sisters, with their husbands and wives, with their children. Now, to affirm this, we're going to have a brother or two call in not just a brother or two, but sisters as well, call in and affirm that this is a big struggle uh, in terms of the social uh, expectations and standards that we should have as believers. I want to hear from one or two. I'm going to clear the lines here in a moment for that to occur, just to once again state that what we want to do is be, we want to be clean. We want to be free, liberated, so that when we come up on that holiday that we don't have to find ourselves stumbling uh, away and, 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 and going into corners and, and can't wait to get out of there so I can get back to that place where I am uh, uh, well, I'm striving for uh, some kind of personal pleasure principle as a consequence because addiction has that problem no matter what the source is that we're using to get to that addiction. So that's what I mean. Not saying a whole lot different than what you're saying, James, other than pulling up uh, the facts of uh, porn and alcohol and, and talking about how very prominent they are in the present uh, in the present church age. So thank you for the call. Let me see here. I'm going to take a break. Uh, I got three lines open. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Three lines open. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. A couple of y'all dropped off. You can call back if you want to, but we will take you on the other side of the break. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.